Amen. If you will, please have a seat. Uh, one of the one of the beautiful parts of that song I love so much is just this this heart of um, really desiring our our obedience um, and our relationship with Jesus to become something that's so natural to us and and almost so effortlessly. Uh, when you think about creation, it just still follows the pattern of its creator, um, and and hopefully our lives, um, the more we grow closer to Christ, just continue to follow that pattern of trust and dependence on Him and obedience in His Word and um, and sometimes it, they don't. Sometimes um, in life, it's it's tough to get to the place where um, we will just do what maybe God has put on our heart, just pursue the opportunity that's directly in front of us. Um, this past week, I got a phone call. Um, fall, winter, and spring, I'm 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 deep within my 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 coaching um, tenure. Uh, baseball, basketball, then baseball again um, is, is kind of my coaching. Uh, routine now, and I got a call this past week from the guy that's over our age bracket with my youngest son, it's uh, 10U Baseball, and, and he called me, and he said, uh, I got a, uh, need to talk to you, we got a situation, and if you ever get a call where someone says, I need to talk to you, uh, there's a situation, that's code for you're now currently in the situation, you're, you're part of it now, we, we have officially connected you into what is going on. And as I heard the story, basically the summary was uh, there was a player that was on one team and because of some events with the coach and the parents and the player, it kind of all went south just real fast. And so the following is as I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, wh what is exactly my part in this? Um, he says, so we've met, he said, me and the, the person that's over all of baseball, we've met. And so we were thinking since, you know, <clears throat> you're a pastor, that's usually when the conversation goes south, by the way, if you've never been in ministry full-time, but he said, since you're a pastor, we thought it would be a great situation for us to place this young man on your baseball team. So I'll be honest with you, for the first short part of that conversation, I was not so much in pastor mindset as I was in coach mindset, which was, you know, if you take on one more player, that's uh, parents who are not going to be happy, you got to sit out more kids, you got to figure out who sits out, who doesn't sit out, figure out that rotation, make it equitable, all this stuff, nods the coach in the front row, he understands, Brian C, he feels my pain, he's like, man, I would have avoided that phone call, I would have ghosted him. Well, maybe I should have. Um, and, you know, so you're thinking through all this stuff, and now it's, you know, then it's, you know, as a coach, you, you want to coach players, but you want to win ball games. I mean, you, you just really like to come out on the winning side of the score. And so then you're figuring out, you know, well, where does this kind of put us? How will this affect the things that are going on and all these different things? And then kind of what settled in was, so this guy's really calling with this idea that there's this um, rough situation for this young guy and his parents, and he has seen me and the guys that are coaching with me as an opportunity to do something good. So in that moment, I was like, mm, I guess, Jesus, I can't be totally a coach I got to think about what, you know, could be done here. And, and, and sometimes, and that's one little small, um, small example, but in many different ways in life, what we want and, and kind of what our tendency is, the, the, the mode that we're on, the operation that we're in, starts to kind of affect and, and, and weigh heavily on how we see the life decision that's right in front of us. How do we, how do we, how do we look at the context of our lives and what's going on and, and say, okay, God, how, how do I see this? Do I choose to be sad, frustrated, miserable? Do I choose to find joy? 
Um, is this fulfilling? Is this what I wanted, what I didn't expect? What, what, how do I see this? And, and the choice that we make to view our lives and to take from it what God is doing is a choice. It, it, it really is. It's a powerful choice. And it's one that God's Spirit wants to walk with us through constantly. And, and that's really where we are at this part of chapter 3 that we're going to pick back up on in John that we were in last week. Last week as we were in there, we saw this conversation, this one-on-one talk between Jesus and Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus was somebody that when he came into the room, he came in with a very judgmental view of God's love. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not just a Jew, but I am a spiritual leader of the Jews, a Pharisee, so... I am one of the many that are, that are loved, but I am probably even maybe selectively loved. So when Jesus started throwing words out like everybody, it got really offensive in the room. And, and he had a hard time really wrapping his mind around it. He was coming in search of Jesus and seeking the truth of what God was saying through Jesus, but he was really wrestling with it. It didn't sound like what he wanted to believe and what he had believed for a really long time. And as we see this this interaction unfold, then at this point we're going to pick up right now in chapter 3, John, the writer of this, hops back over into the life of John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. He wasn't Baptist by denomination, that hadn't even been invented yet. But but he was baptizing people, it's what he was doing was kind of characterized what they called him. And, And he jumps back in now to this guy's life. Now John the Baptizer was not just a seeker like Nicodemus, he he had the background Nicodemus had, but he was much more current into what God was doing then. He was walking much more faithfully in where God was taking his story than Nicodemus was. So in John, we're going to see a little different perspective, but still we go back to the choice of what do we do with what God is saying? Nicodemus was just trying to just wrestle with do I accept it or not? Do I believe it is valid or true? John had decided that it was true. He had committed his life to it. But he had to decide if it's true, then what? And he answers that question for us pretty well. Um, And after he answers that question for us, then we're going to have this nice kind of summary of both of these relationships and really the meaning of Jesus before we step into chapter 4 and really get rolling into some of these other major events that are going to just continue to unfold chapter after chapter in this book. Um, if, if you, if you kind of get a little bit ang- anxious about just being in one book for potentially a long time, um, just think of the book of John as just a lot of standalone sermons that just coincidentally are all coming from the same book, and that might kind of help your ADHD like it does mine sometimes. So as we start this section, we are going to be picking up in, in verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. Now, if you read into chapter 4 and verse 2, it clarifies um, what is really being said here. Um, This is Jesus kind of now traveling with some of his followers kind of as a ministry unit, and it's actually his followers that are doing the baptizing. Um, just like for John the baptizer, he had a ministry crew that he followed with, and many of his followers were actually the ones doing the baptizing. Um, when, when you compare these two, um, we're, you're getting ready to find out that, that both of these ministries, both of these preaching sermons, both of, both of this kind of functional baptism, both are going on in the same region, but there was plenty of room to operate. Um, in our context, this would probably look like two churches in roughly the same community both trying to grow their churches and, and, and perpetuate their message of truth. 
It says this, um, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown in prison. That just kind of gives a time perspective as, as John is writing about this event. Um, it, it's, it's, it's before he's imprisoned and ultimately is put to death, clearly. Um, then a dispute arose between John's disciples, his followers, and a, and a Jew about purification. Um, it's probably a question where somebody within this ministry environment said, I don't get it. Why are you doing what you're doing? Or is what you're doing really valid compared to what I think I know? After this question comes up, it says this, um, So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now, this is a little bit of what we would probably call church panic. John, the baptizer, is, has been at what looks like the peak of his ministry. The most number of followers, the biggest crowds, the most, report, um, most support. He's kind of at this, what looks like a, a kind of a peak point of ministry, or at least a, an, an upswing in ministry where there's, there's clear growth. And the people that are around him started to panic because they were going, we're losing people. I don't know if you've ever been in a church situation where um, groups of people or a noticeable number of people start to leave the church. It, it's a panic moment, right? You, you feel like, oh gosh, you're like, what's going on? Can, 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 can we keep going? You know, what's happening? What's wrong? What's right? Do we need to change? Do we need to alter something? And, and we start asking all these questions. And usually it's one of two things. Either something is going wrong, so you're losing people, or... You're being faithful to God's word, and that at times will cause people to want to distance themselves from it. But there's nervousness, no matter which way you look at it. And John has a perspective. There's questions about his ministry. People are raising questions. Why are you really doing what you're doing? So this, this seems like kind of a stressful moment, but John the baptizer comes in with really just a cool, calm, and clear answer. It says this, John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. He says, listen, in respect to the message that God has put on my heart, I, I know that I've been faithful in it. So if people are going from me to someone else, then my first assumption is, is that God, I trust you're doing something. That's a pretty bold, secure statement. He says this, for you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friends, or the groom's friend, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy is my this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John says about as much as you can say humanly in just a few sentences here. First of all, he says this, listen, I know what God called me to do. I know the message that he put on my heart. See, the, the ministry that God had called John to was one to, to prepare the way for Jesus. John knew from the very beginning that ultimately, the, 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 the one that God was sending, what God was ultimately up to, was not going to be completed in him. 
Now, that's kind of tough. I mean, think about it. Would you want to be in the kind of relationship where somebody looks at you and says, you know what? I want to be happy. I want to be married. And I just need you to get me ready to meet that person. Uh, no. Uh, this is the moment where we break up. Like, I, I don't want to be what I feel like is second choice. Our pride tends to kind of pull us to this thing of wanting to be the priority and the one that is special and the one that is valued the most by who we're in a relationship with. But in some way, God had worked greatly in John's heart to where he was really truly okay with this idea that he could just be faithful to God and what God had called him to do. And that ultimately he would see what God was doing in the bigger picture. Now, at this moment, he makes the statement that my joy is complete, that I am totally fulfilled. I don't know about you, but there's probably not many times in our lives between us that any of us have got to the place to say, you know what? I'm experiencing complete and total life fulfillment. You know why? Because there's a lot that goes on that just ruins it. Yesterday morning, I was trying to just drive to baseball practice. And I, I got behind a trailer on 150 that was hauling mulch. Now, I'm sure they had a really big day ahead of them. But I don't think they reasonably grasped the hurry that I was in. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you're just a little, like, at that moment, I was going to spend time with my son. I didn't feel completely fulfilled in life because I, I, I just let my frustration go. We don't often probably say, I just feel totally fulfilled. And, I, and, and, and if that scared you, I, I don't get angry at mulch. And if that was your yard that you were mulching, um, I hope you had a great day. A drive faster. I mean, but, but I hope you had a great day. We don't often say that. But I want you to listen for a second to what my wife just described to me between services as a very um, uncomfortable explanation of the biblical events um, when I explained this in the first service. Because John puts into some specific language how he really felt. Now, weddings went very differently in biblical culture compared to our culture. A lot of differences. Um, for us, uh, when a um, couple gets engaged, a lot of celebration, dating that's gone on, that dating and that, that kind of engagement didn't exist in their culture. Their, in their culture, what we would call an engagement was legal marriage. It was an actual signed contract. So you were legally married, and, and you had to get a divorce at that point. Now, you were legally married, but had still not begun a physical relationship with each other. And it would have had to have been legally separated at that moment. And all good husbands, immediately, when they signed the contract, left. Now, for some women, you were like, hey, that's a really good guy. <laughs> Maybe that's a little sign of some unhealthiness, and we'll talk about that later. But he left, sometimes for up to seven years. I mean, think about how your relationship would have gone if you'd been married. When the husband looks at the wife and says, well... The wedding has been fantastic, beautiful ceremony, can't wait to see the pictures. I'll see you in about seven minutes, no years. And then the fight starts, right? When the husband shows back up, the groom, who, who carried all the responsibility to prepare for their life, all these things, the groom would show back up, sometimes with no notice at all, because that's why it's compared to the rapture in the Bible, the groom shows up, 
And at that moment, there's a place there at the bride's family's house that they would go in and consummate the relationship. That was the wedding event, night, honeymoon, all kind of crammed into one. After that, then the celebration that had been prepared for, the food that was starting to get cooked, everything that was prepared, the celebration, the music, the band kicked up, it all, boom, it just kicked off at that moment. Now, John is comparing Jesus to the groom. And Jesus does, like a groom, he carries all the weight of responsibility in our relationship with him. He has prepared the possibility of it, the availability of it. He, he guarantees it. He's the one that accepts us like a groom accepted his wife. And we're compared to the bride, the one that comes in there and is waiting to be accepted. Now, if we can set aside what we may call gender differences from their culture to ours for a second, I want to explain to you what I mean by that. So when a husband and wife came together in that consummation, they would have sex on top of what we would call the virginity cloth. And after they made love, that cloth would have evidence, they hoped on it, physical evidence, that that was the first time that the bride had had a sexual encounter. And that cloth would be taken and presented to the father of the bride. I don't know if that's what a lot of dads look for when their daughters get married, but I'm saying it was culture. Now, the reason they did it was this. If the groom believed his wife to be a virgin and she wasn't, then he immediately could be divorced from her and if he chose to pursue it, she could be stoned. But also, if the husband accused his wife of that, maybe he was trying to get out of the marriage. If he accused his wife of that, and the father of the bride came in with the evidence to prove otherwise, then he had punishment that was going to rest on him. See, in their culture, it was, it was this thing where it was up to the groom to accept his bride. And when he accepted her, the celebration of this new marriage relationship begun. Now, in the craziness of that explanation, consider what it means for us spiritually. Because when we come into relationship with Jesus, we don't come in like a virgin. That was not a Madonna reference, just if that's where your head went. Please just don't hum it out loud. I'm, I just, I, my ADHD can't, can't I, I can't stick with you on that one, okay? We come in not not pure we come in with a lot of baggage we come into relationship with him needing acceptance but not deserving it and what they understood culturally was that kind of acceptance was beyond the average human heart in fact i would argue with you that that kind of acceptance is only in the heart of god for me to bring all my mess into the initial moment of meeting Jesus and for him to say, okay, and to just receive that in, that's the beauty of that kind of relationship. This is why marriage was created by God because it means spiritual things and, and makes spiritual application and that's why we're supposed to be faithful to it the way that God calls us to as followers of him. But here's the trick. So far, we've only covered who Jesus is is seen as and who we're seen as. 
John the baptizer said, I'm neither one of those right now at this moment. I feel like I'm the grooms. I'm the groomsman. I'm the friend. You know what the job of the friend was? Now, now there's not many guys in the line of groomsmen who are probably now currently going to sign up for this job. His job was to stand outside that room and listen. Yeah. And what he was listening for was... And this is where I think he got really awkward in the first service. He was listening for the current events to be complete. Hopefully that would be better than the way I said it in the first service. Um, as my wife told me, it was semi-awkward and uncomfortable. He was listening for that and for the conversation that, was per, that pursued that or that came after that, that followed that, where the groom said something to the effect probably of, I love you. You're mine. You've waited for me. Whatever that conversation was of acceptance and completion, the groom's friend would listen for that and then go from that place straight into the wedding party where all the food was laid out and all the tables were ready. And he came in with his voice going, let the party get started. His whole job was to carry the excitement of a relationship that he was actually not even part of. And, and, and so notice, when, 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 you hear, when you hear John the baptizer talk about that, that he senses this, this, this feeling of fulfillment in his life, he's simply saying, God, I know what you've called me to do. And I've said it to myself over and over and over again. But in this moment, I am living it. And I'm seeing it. So please don't give up on the promises that God has put in your heart with the truth from his word to say, this is what I'm calling, to, calling you to, and this is who I say you are. Some days you're going to need to be like me, and you're just going to need to tell yourself over and over and over and over that this is just what he's called you to do, and that's what you're here to do faithfully. Because for the moment that you see it, you do not want to miss out on that kind of joy, because according to the word of God, according to the perfect and arable word of God, according to John's own explanation, that kind of joy is a complete fulfillment. And that's really what we're all looking for, right? So the promises that you repeat to yourself about who God says that you are and what He's calling you to, stick with those promises. Because when you see them fulfilled, it'll, it'll, it'll be like joy you've never realized. Now, how does He sustain that joy? How does He look at that as, okay, this is what I'm experiencing now, now look ahead into the future. God never just says, okay, let's just talk about your past. He says, let's talk about your past in light of your present. He doesn't just say, let's talk about your present. He says, let's talk about your present with the idea that there's a future in mind. John says this, for this to continue, he is going to need to increase and I'm going to need to decrease. In other words, he said this, the, the ministry that I've, I've seen built, it's going to need to shrink in number. The followers that I have are going to need to start going and following Jesus. Things are going to have to change. For his kingdom to build, my kingdom is going to need to make sure that it stays small. And in our lives as believers, when we start to sense this joy that we find in the Lord, when we see that he's doing something in our life, the continuation of that is going to be, 
Lord, you're going to need to continue to increase in influence. You're going to need to continue to increase in who I look to. The closeness that we have is going to need to increase, and then who I am in my pride is going to need to continue to decrease. That's how that kind of joy is maintained. Because if you're anything like me, when you get things a little bit on track, that pride, that ego, that self-desire pops in, and man, it can wreck things quicker than you can ever build them back up. You get some really good wisdom that that's how that kind of lifestyle needs to go to continue. Now, in this next section, there's this summary that if you compare it to the rest of the book of John, it seems like the, the gospel writer John is writing this. Um, he could be inspired to write this as a message that came from John the baptizer. There's not really a, a certain way to know, but it sounds a lot more like the gospel writer John instead of John the baptizer. But the, the truth that's in this is, is really impactful when you consider these two individuals that have just been highlighted in this gospel as we look forward into a whole lot of just amazing things. It says this, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Now that might seem like a really plain statement, but it's really, really key for us to think through. For you and I, we live in the context of this world. You know, it's a very dangerous thing to try to understand God looking up at Him. To understand, excuse me, God accurately, we go into His Word for who God says He is as He looks down at us. It really helps us in understanding who God is. But we live in kind of our own context. I mean, my, I mean, my job on a regular basis is, is to really pray over God's Word to see where He's leading us as a church family. And, and when I try to communicate it, to communicate it in a way that it's accurate to what God is saying, but we, we look at it in, in a way that hopefully makes sense to us. And, and, and if I'm preaching in a way that is not clear to you and it doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem like it applies to your life, there's no other thing that you could say to me that would help my preaching more than just being honest with me about that. Because that's what my goal, my heart's desire is. But in that, there's a limitation. I would tell you, as, as a pastor that's standing here right now, if the greatest thing that you take from God's Word is just what I say about it, that's not going to be good enough for your life. Like your time alone in the Word and your time with the Lord is absolutely essential. What the Holy Spirit can tell you straight from the heart of God, because He is God, is way more powerful than how I might be able to use a story from my life and my experiences to explain what I believe truthfully it means. So please understand that when it says here that we are earthly and we're limited by that, that's not something to just be mad about or to be frustrated with. It's to understand and appreciate because Jesus, who lived on earth as not just a human, but as God, He understands everything and He came from the very presence and existence of God. That's why when it says He's above all, it doesn't mean He's just hovering and watching us. It means He's in literal authority and has words for everything and wisdom for everything that we go through. He wants to have his rightful place in authority, but also his rightful place in influence. You know, it's one thing for my kids to come to me as their dad and say, hey, dad, I need, you know, five bucks for whatever. I need $20 for whatever. But it's another thing for them to come to me and go, hey, dad, because you love me and because you're my father and because you've experienced more of life and you just know more than me, what do you think about this? It's a very different set of questions. 
And it's literally the difference in how we see God. And it, it says as, as, as we continue, he testifies to what he has seen and heard. What Jesus says in the Gospels, what we see in his life, is from the very wisdom of God. It, it, you know what's absolutely insane? Uh, and, and they've closed down in Greensboro. But, but sometimes I used to go in Lifeway, and I used to just look at the wall of Bibles and go, this is absolutely insane. Like, we have grown to a place in, in our existence in this world that we take literally what the truth and the power of God's Word is, and we, like, we print it, and we box it, and we sell it, and we make money on it. As if we're qualified to handle the truth of God's Word in that way. And, and that's why I think it's so important for us to remember as we learn to walk faithfully this isn't just the Bible that I buy, it's the Word of God that I live by. And, and John was growing in this kind of appreciation of what God was saying to him, what he was living out, and how God was showing him the greater purpose of not just John's life, but of what Jesus and God was doing together. It says, he, um, it says that, um, that, that he testified of his own um, sight and what his own hearing was, and yet no one accepted his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. You know, that's one of the greatest descriptions, I think, of what it means to really live like a Christian. When it says that someone that, that, that believes in Jesus affirms that God is true, it doesn't mean that God gets our stamp of approval. It means that when it says affirmed, it means to agree with, to live in agreements with. I think that's, one of, that's, that's a really great way to think about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. It means that we live our life in agreement with what Jesus did. It, we live our life in agreement with what God's Word says. That sounds very simple, but think about it for a second. If God's Word says that a relationship in my life is supposed to look a certain way, my conversations are supposed to be built the way it's built out of Ephesians 4, to leave certain abusive language out and to pour love and kindness and all those things into it. When, when, when the Word of God talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that love doesn't hold grudges and it's not rude and it's not, um, it doesn't brag about what it's done, that, that if I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to really agree with Jesus, then, then I have to live those ways. And it seems simple, but you know what the alternative is, right? that if I'm not in agreement with Jesus, then I'm living in disagreement with him. Now, don't, don't point fingers because you might be sitting beside him, but do you remember the last person that you really had a good, healthy argument with? If you're still in the middle of it, like I tell you, just blink, just let me know. Just give me a signal. We'll, we'll come and we'll help you out. Like I can signal Dale in ways that y'all don't even know about from this distance and stuff. We'll, we'll swoop in. We'll help you out. Right? Some of y'all laughing and they're like, I can't blink, but that's my signal. And I don't know if you can see me in the dark. Ha <laughs> ha! That's what y'all doing, right? But you remember when you're just really in an argument with somebody and it's tense? You know what the easiest thing is for a lot of people? Stay away. Just simply to stay away, to avoid. Because, I mean, who wants to just roll into the middle of conflict and just wrestle around with it some days, right? You, you get tired. You get worn out. When our lives live in disagreement, with what God teaches, that's when we honestly, we start separating ourselves. That's what I've done in my life. When I've chosen to live in a specific sin and I'm living in disagreement with Jesus, I mean, the first thing I do is I stop praying and stop reading the Bible. It's, it's my avoidance strategy. Maybe that's just me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you've never really lived through that kind of time in your walk with Christ. But we, we kind of walk in this avoidance strategy when we're in disagreement. So w when we do, we realize it, it's going to take work for us to get that relationship back to where it needs to be with the Lord. It says this, for, the, for me, I'm sorry, for the one who God uh, sent speaks God's words 
since he gives the Spirit without measure. Um, in the Old Testament, they believed that when someone did something great, um, the, the understanding, the belief was is that they had God's Spirit on them for as much as they needed to do that thing. Uh, like when Moses went before Pharaoh and he was scared and he had a stuttering problem and he was just nervous about speaking, that when God's Spirit went with him for him to be able to do that, then he had enough of the Holy Spirit's power to calm himself to be able to speak directly to Pharaoh. Uh, when Daniel was in the lion's den and he faced an animal that he couldn't overcome, that God's Spirit was with him with enough power for him to be able to be calm and handle that moment. But it says this about Jesus, and this is, this is salvation language. This is relationship with God language. It says that Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit without measure. You know what that means? That means that you and I have plenty. He didn't go, oh, what's, what's, this one gonna, what's this guy going to need? Is he going to need a little bit more? No, that's enough because I don't want to run out. The resource never runs out, and we always have plenty of it. What the Bible does say that we have an appropriate amount of for the day is grace. There's always just enough grace that we need for that day. We don't borrow from it, and we don't pay it forward. We use all what God gives us. That's what we're called to live in. But when it comes to Holy Spirit power and access to God, we have always an overabundance of what we need. I joked in the first service, uh, one of our members sits on the front row. He's a tall guy. His name's Troy. And I, I'm a lot shorter than Troy is. In fact, uh, when Troy and I see each other, based on our excitement level, sometimes we hug. And it's awkward. When I hug Troy, it's like me hugging my nine-year-old. Uh, my head, like my son's, rests somewhere on his belly. Um, as a grown man, that's insulting. I don't feel like a real strong guy when it happens. I don't feel cool. I, I don't really like it. I prefer a fist bump. I prefer a handshake. But when he pulls me in, I, I just have to walk in humility. There's a big height difference between me and him. We're not, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit based on the difference in our height or the difference in our circumstances. We always have more than enough power of the Holy Spirit in us. It says this, um, the Father, the Father that loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on Him. Now, that does not seem like the most encouraging way to end this chapter 3. Because we've seen two individuals' lives. We've seen one that was a seeker of God. He came to Jesus wanting to know, what's God saying through you? He came in with an elitist attitude and a pride in who he was. And he didn't want to hear that God loved everybody. But it started knocking down walls. The truth of God started knocking down how he saw the world and saw his life so that he could faithfully begin to follow Jesus and know what that was going to mean. When John the Baptist reappears... He's at the peak of his success, we would say, only to find satisfaction in realizing that things were going to change and the outside look would look unsuccessful if he was judged by people. But if his goal was to be loved by God and to faithfully follow him, then his success was continuing to climb and his joy was increasing and was full. In the end of this section, we have this one singular truth 
that salvation is only found in Jesus. That eternity in heaven is only in one way. And you know, if we, if we just listen to that and we don't stop and really consider who God is, that, that sounds a little bit crazy, right? Like, why, why would there be only one way? What if somebody misses it? Why, why, why not create two or three ways or at least a plan A and give us a back door, give us something to go with? But consider something. God is holy. God is perfect. God is just. God knows everything, and he's present everywhere. That's who he is. So if he creates even two ways to enter into eternity in heaven, then God is inconsistent. Because no matter what the world wants to argue, truth can't be both truth and false at the same time. By its own definition, it's true or it's not. To say it's true for me is a statement that doesn't hold water for very long. So for God to create two ways, he would be inconsistent. So to be God, he only can create one way into heaven. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel message of that is both simple and deeply complicated. It's simple in how we can really understand it. That I'm a sinner, I do wrong things. Yep, I checked that off many, many times last week and today already. And that sin, as God says has a punishment assigned to it. When I do bad things, I've earned a punishment. And, and that punishment, that earning, that wage is death. But then there's that three-letter word, but. There's this pause, there's this moment of hope. There's this moment where, yes, that is the penalty if I continue that way, but that's not what God's desire is because out of a great love, he chose to pay through himself a payment that I could not and continue to live my life because the payment of sin was always death. So when Jesus came to live, the Jesus that John watched and knew very well that he was writing about, he knew that that Jesus paid a full and complete price for all of sin and that through his own God power came back to life to let us know that when we die to sin, when we confess that to God, when we begin a new relationship with God, it's not about our past dying, it's also very much our future new life in him. It's, it's, it's for hope. And the Bible is simple, that to, do, to find that one way, it is to believe that that is what Jesus did and to acknowledge to God in prayer that Jesus, like this says, is above all. He paid for my life, so he's above my life. He has authority over it. He has control over it. He has decision-making influence in it. He wants, to, he wants to consume it, not to use it up and waste it, but to give it a better purpose than it's ever had. And to receive that, to find that one way, is to say, God, I want to be saved. Forgive me of my past sins. Restore me to where you've wanted me. Save me. It's a simple prayer like that. And I say that with not with heads bowed and eyes closed, but I say that to make sure that we're talking about the same gospel. This is what God's word says. And the good news is that it is, it is free and available to you. And you may be sitting in here saying that I'm, I'm probably not quite worth the love of God as I imagine the love of God. But can I tell you that it just may be that you've imagined the love of God wrong and you haven't considered how free and open it is to you because He wants you in the relationship so then you can work on the relationship.
For some reason, we want to try to work on things before we're there. It's becoming into a relationship with God first, then following Him faithfully. To hear the reasons why He wants us to do what He wants us to do. That's the beauty of the relationship. I think people fear so much that it's going to be this holy set of marching orders, and it's going to be miserable. I found more deep meaning in why I do what I do from Jesus than I ever could have imagined, ever could have imagined. And I know with confidence that you'll find that too. If you find yourself where the end of this chapter ends, not at an ending but at a beginning, you're ready to begin your relationship with Jesus, then that means you're that one faithful, believing prayer away. You know, I, I don't ask for hands to go up much. I got a couple of friends of mine that tell me I'm crazy for not calling for hands and, and for just really drawing a number. But I trust what God's doing in your life. I believe in it. And I believe if he's really doing something, he'll put something inside of you. He'll say, you know what, I want to talk to Derek about it. I want to I check this box on this card. I want to I hear from somebody who can walk with me in this relationship and help me see what they've seen already. Last week, there's a, um, there was a lady in here who filled out one of our cards. She said she gave her life to Christ last week. She became a Christian. So the details of this story go like this. Um, yesterday, Winnie and I were, um, yesterday afternoon, 5 o'clock or so, we were at um, Annie Penn in Reedsville. There's a very sweet lady who we've been part of her life for about 9 or 10 years. We got connected with her because she took in her grandkids. Um, and we were asked to help care for them. Um, they've gone to camp with us. They've been in church with us on and off. Those grandkids have been here. Um, this lady was here last week. She asked um, her son's girlfriend to bring her to church. So we were, live, we were with her yesterday because the cancer has completely taken over her body. And without, a, without God's miraculous intervention... She may not make it through this week. But last week, she brought her son's girlfriend to church. And she received Jesus Christ as her Savior. God was clearly doing some things. And I wish I could look you dead in the eye and tell you exactly what God's doing in your life. I can't. I don't have that power. But I know enough about God to where I can promise you he's doing something. I know he's doing something. And my prayer is, and I hope, my hope is that you're really ready to receive it. Would you now bow your heads and close your eyes? Our praise team is going to lead us in a song in just a minute. And while I explain to you in a pretty calm tone what it means to come into the family of God, even as it happened last week here in this room with one individual lady, I hope that you don't hear that as a calm and dull and mundane thing. I hope you hear the description out of John the baptizer's mouth where he said, this is a groom, this is a Jesus, this is a God that welcomes us in. And, and tradition and culture says that you should only accept the things that are worthy of who you are. But, but he says, listen, I, there's no way you're going to be worthy of me. And that's exactly why I want you. And I hope right now you remember what it felt like to know the first time when you really understood the gospel and you could almost feel and measure because you felt the weight of the love of God on your soul. 
I hope you remember that. And if you don't know that that time happened for you, I hope that is right now, immediately in this room. And as we sing, this front area will be open as it is every week to pray over anything you would like to pray over. If you want to talk about that relationship with God and you want to know how you can pray that prayer, you, you feel insecure about how to pray it, what to say, what to, what, where, what to know or what to go to in Scripture, please don't just keep that feeling. Let God conquer that with the wisdom that He'll give you through coming and talking to someone about that relationship in Jesus. God, thank you so much for your love, your great love for us. God, thank you that we got to hear from your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of what it says. God, thank you for the joy that we can sing in now about, God, who we are in you. Lord, help this song be the promises that we can, we can say over ourselves, God, in your truth and your word, knowing that, God, you are going to continue to show us and build into us the joy of what you really are doing. So, God, help us to not build our joy on the things that we can control because those things fade away, they change, they move. But, God, Jesus is, is unchangeable. He doesn't shift. He doesn't, he doesn't move locations. We can anchor our hope and our trust in Him and in Him alone. And when it's in Him, then, then the things that happen to us on this earth, they cannot destroy my identity and who I am because who I am is in Him. So God, for those that have tired legs this morning, for just walking the path in life that they've walked, God, restore their strength and give them rest. For those of us that are joyful and, and, and celebrating, God, our relationship with you, God, help that joy continue. For those that are, that are searching and seeking, God, who you are and what you're about, Lord, reveal yourself in a way that's so clear and evident that they can only know that it is you that the confusion of that is pulled away. God, I pray that the cry and the song of our voice is out of an honest and pure and heart dedicated to you as we sing now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?